Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. As I was spending time with the Lord in prayer, it was very obvious to me that in light of, you know, we went through a series, and when I did that series, I felt that it was something that God wanted me to preach, but I didn't know what the response would be. And we had a more than amazing response. We had a lot of people giving testimonies. So God is doing something. And then as I've looked at the people who've been coming, the people who've been seeking after God, I've seen two things happening. Number one, I've seen an increase in the desire for the Word of God in people's lives. And number two, a burdening of the heart for people who don't know Jesus Christ. An overwhelming desire to read God's Word and a burdening of their hearts for the lost. And so as I've been thinking about that and I thought, man, I'm getting ready to go into Luke, it dawned on me, you know, you need to go to Acts. And you need to go to Acts and talk about the early church, the first church. And really look at what Acts says so as I've looked at this aspect of looking at the book of Acts, I want us to look at what does it mean to be the church. And what we're going to look at here, we're going to start a series for the next five weeks. We're actually going to go through all of Luke's, but for the first two chapters, we're going to take the first in the series, talking about lighting a fire. Because God is lighting a fire in the hearts of some folks here. We want to light a fire in everybody's heart. And look at what it means when the church is empowered by God. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the whole issue of you and I being empowered by God. And so today in our passage, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And what we're going to specifically look at is God telling them where their focus needs to be, because they have a focus, but their focus is wrong. He's going to tell them what their focus needs to be, and then he's going to talk about that he's going to empower them to do what they need to do, and then we're going to see what their response is. We're looking at verse 1 of Acts. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why 
Do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What we're going to see here in this passage is a commission. Jesus is going to give us a task that we need to do, but in order for us to do the task, we need to have the right focus. But he's also going to show us that as he gives us this task to do, he's not going to give it for us to do on our own. He says, I'm going to empower you to do it. I'm going to give you the ability to do what I'm asking you to do. And then as they're giving that commission, you're going to see how they respond to it. And so we're going to learn the lessons we can, especially as we try to become the church that God wants us to be. So let's notice, first of all, the proper focus. Look with me at verse 6. I want you to notice where the focus of the disciples was. Jesus is getting ready to leave them, and the disciples come to him in verse 6, and they say to him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now I want you to notice their focus, their focus was on the timing of the kingdom. Their focus was on the timing of the kingdom. They were focused on the end times. Lord, when are you going to establish your kingdom? When are you going to overthrow the Romans? When are you going to do what you, what we believe you were going to do? When are you going to do it? So that's where the focus was. In fact, if you remember, their focus hadn't changed really. When they followed Jesus for the last three years before this time, they were waiting for him to what? Overthrow the Romans. They were waiting for him to establish the kingdom so that they could rule with him. And remember, they got into arguments and fights with each other about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So their focus is still on self and still on God. When are you going to change stuff so that we can rule? Things haven't changed, have they? Even today, the church is so focused on when Jesus is coming back. That's our focus. You say, how do you know that? Take several things that have happened in the last few years. The Left Behind series. A series of novels written based upon what? What will happen in the end? Guess what? Big seller. It's unusual not to find people who have not read the series. Why? An interest in the end times. Literally, around this country, there are millions going to prophecy conferences wanting to know what? When Jesus will come back. But let's say, for instance, an Ed Stetzer, who is the research director with Lifeway, says that you hold a conference for church planning to plant churches so that more people are reached for Jesus. You only have thousands show up for that, but millions show up to learn about when Jesus will come back. Our focus, especially, in fact, since the election, you hear more people talk about what? About when Jesus will come back. And so, we, we can relate to these guys because that's, we want to know when Jesus will come back. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds to them, responds to them. And listen, his response is a rebuke. Notice what he says. Jesus tells them not to focus on the end times. Don't get focused on the end times. You know, we need to have an understanding of the end times because it's our hope for what is going to take place, but it shouldn't be our total focus. 
I know that he will come back. I know what will take place when he'll come back, but I don't live there every day. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, notice what he says. In fact, he, he's very particular about what he says. Look with me at verse 7. It is not for you to know the times. The word that's used there for times is the word that we get chronology from. It's not for us to know the chronology of events. Notice what else he says. Or the seasons. That word there means character or circumstance of the earth. So it's not for you and I to know the particulars about when stuff happens. And listen. Jesus says it's not for you to worry about the chronology of all the stuff that's going to happen or the circumstances. Don't worry about that because it's in God's hands and you leave it with him because I've got something else for you. Our focus needs to be somewhere else than worrying about when it's going to happen. And that's reality. Here's the reality. He tells them what? He tells them that they will be empowered. Look at what he says, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's going to happen is, is that we gave them a promise earlier that the Spirit of God would come into their lives. And you know that as believers, when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit enters into your life at that moment. Now the issue is, is whether or not you have been empowered by Him. And that's a choice that you have to make. For instance, when you go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 18, he's talking about how to live your life. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, but because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what is the will of the Lord. And then here's what he says. And do not be drunk with wine. That is, don't be controlled by wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. See, as a believer, I need to seek the empowerment that he has for me to live my life. See, so many of us try to live the Christian life on our own. What happens? We fail. We stumble. We can't do it. But the empowerment of God is there, so he promises the empowerment. See, he has promised to each and every one of you that you and I would be empowered by God's Holy Spirit. But the reality is is that the Holy Spirit lives within you And you need to seek the empowerment that he has for you. Now, why would he empower you? Here's why he would empower you. Because here's what he wants you to see. He empowers you. That is, when you are being empowered, being empowered, they will be his witnesses. See, he wants to empower you so that you can be his witness concerning the reality of Jesus Christ to a world around you. You see what I'm saying? His focus is, here's what he's saying to them, guys, I don't want you to focus on the end time thing. I don't want you to go there. Because here's what happens. We can get into that end time thing, and we can, whether we realize it or not, we can get into a lazy chair mentality. You know what I mean? A lazy boy mentality. You know what a lazy boy is, don't you? It's that chair that you sit in, and you kick the thing up, and you watch the game on. And you as a believer, and it's happened, can get into a mentality where you just kick back and wait for Jesus to come, and I'm waiting for him to come. He doesn't want us to have that kind of mentality. He wants us rather to have a mentality that recognizes that as I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'm to be his witness. But notice what he said. He said to them, and it's really interesting, because he said to them, you're to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. You're to be my witnesses. Now, they would be comfortable with being a witness in Jerusalem and Judea, but they wouldn't be comfortable with the last two, Samaria and the other most parts of the world. In fact, as you go through Acts, he literally has to force them out to be the witnesses that they're supposed to be. 
So you and I are to be witnesses to everyone around us as we are empowered by God. Now I want you to notice what their response is now. Their response is twofold. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. First of all, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered there, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. The first thing I want you to see is, is that they were obedient to Christ. They were obedient to Christ. Now, what do you mean they were obedient? Because here's what he said. Right before that question about whether or not he was going to establish the kingdom, he told them the promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And he said to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. So he didn't just give them a commission about what they were supposed to do, that is, be his witnesses. He told them to wait. So the first thing you see about their response to the Lord is, is that they were obedient to him. Now, this is a key thing you and I have got to recognize, is the issue of obedience. Why do I say that? Because Paul says this. Two different passages. First Thessalonians 5.19. He says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now you say, no, wait a minute now, George, I'm confused. What does this all mean? When I am not obedient to what God has revealed to me, I do two things. Number one, I quench the Spirit of God in my life. And number two, I grieve Him. I quench Him and I grieve Him. You say quench. Now that's a great word because when you think of quench, I think of like you know having a campfire. I love to camp. I remember having a campfire at night. I remember as a Boy Scout, we were supposed to soak the coals so that you could put your hand on them. And the reason so is you're quenching the fire with lots of water so that the fire is then snuffed out. Now, here's what happens. When I choose not to be obedient to God, I willfully choose not to be obedient to God, and let me qualify it, in every area of my life, I am quenching the Spirit the empowerment of the Spirit. Now, here's what I'm saying. When we talk about empowerment, a lot of us here, let's be honest, have no clue what I'm talking about. How many of you would say, George, I'll be honest, I don't know what you're talking about. When you are disobedient to God, the reason why we are not the witnesses that we should be, and the reason why we are not affecting the culture that we're living in, is not because we're not electing the right people or we have the right judges. The reason why is the church is not what it should be. And the church is not what it should be because the church isn't empowered. And the reason why the church isn't empowered is because we've quenched the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we've quenched the Holy Spirit is because we've been disobedient to Him. So, for instance, if you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, in that passage, you don't need to turn there, but you can, for those first five verses there, he is saying to Timothy, Timothy, in the last days, you're going to find people who are exhibiting behavior and I notice as you look through that list, we all suffer from a lot of the things that he says. But he says this, Having a form of godliness, they deny the power thereof. We are denying the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life, because really, we're not obedient to Jesus. We're not obedient to him. And listen, there's an interesting thing there. Verse 5 says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, From such people... You need to get away from, he says. So think about that. The fact of the matter is, if we look at our lives, we lack that empowerment in our lives. We have a form of godliness without 
power thereof. Peter, Paul says, we need to not hang around with each other because we've quenched the Holy Spirit. You and I are quenching the Holy Spirit when we choose to be willfully disobedient. But I want you to know something. They chose to be obedient. They chose to be obedient to Jesus. If you want the empowerment in your life, can I tell you the first place to begin? Is to be obedient to him. When you look at what they did, their proper response was, is when Jesus said something to them, what did they do? They did it. That's the first thing I want you to see about their proper response. The second thing I want you to see about their proper response is this. They prayed for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They prayed for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Listen, here's what happens. You begin to recognize. Think about where they're at. There are 12, 11 guys at this point, plus those who are with them. Jesus says to them, I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. And they want to be obedient to Jesus. It's only right that they would be seeking the empowerment to do it because they would be recognizing in and of themselves that they can't do it. First of all, Jerusalem is seeking after them anyhow because they're the followers of Jesus and they just crucified Jesus so the the officials are not happy about it. And so the reality is they're looking at themselves and they realize, Lord, you've given us this task, you've given us this commission to do. We can't do it. My friends, he's given us a commission too, hasn't he? To bear witness of God in our life to people around us. And as you look at it, let's be honest. This is the reason why we don't share. This is the reason why when when the issue of faith comes up, we remain silent. This is the issue, reason why we'd rather not push the issue with people around us is because we are what? Afraid. Isn't that right? Nod your head with me. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? We're, we're afraid to share. And the reason why we're afraid to share is because we look at ourselves and our own abilities and we recognize what? We can't do it. But here's the thing. God didn't say I was going. He said he gave them the commission after he gave them the promise. And the promise was what? That he would empower them to be the witnesses. God will give you the strength and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be the witness. So I want you to notice what they do. They go to the upper room and they join in prayer for what? Spirit's empowerment. So here's what we do. The response for us is, number one, we've got to start being obedient so we quit quenching the Spirit of God in our life. And number two, we've got to recognize, Lord, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Your Spirit has to empower me. So, Lord, I'm going to seek for your empowerment. You understand, church? Listen to me. A lot of you have begun to recognize that God is calling us to something more, something beyond what we have been doing because the time It is necessity. The time is requiring us to be what he wants us to be. And when you recognize that God is calling us to be what it is, you look around it. And in fact, I've had a few people say this on prayer meeting. We have a sharing time on prayer meeting. How things are going, what's God showing you? And more than once, I've heard people say, man, when you look around at who we are, there's no way we can do it. And you know what? They're right. There's no way we can do it. But God, what? Through us, as he empowers us through his Holy Spirit, can what? Do it. So they gathered together in prayer, and what? They prayed for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There was one before that, and let me just go back. They were united in prayer. They were united in prayer. They got together in the upper room, and it wasn't just the 11 of them. There were the women. There was Mary, the brothers of Jesus. We now, when we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going to realize that there are 120 of them. It must have been a big upper room. There's 120 of them. And they were united in their thought for one 
purpose, God. We want you. We want you. That's a great thing to want, isn't it? And so they were united in that whole aspect of prayer because they recognized, listen, it's not going to be a method. It's not going to be a style. It's not going to be certain format, not going to be certain music that's going to reach people today. It's got to be God through his people reaching people. And the only way to do that is to have God show up. And doing church isn't reaching people. Being church will reach people. And how do you be the church when you're empowered by his spirit? And so we see there that when you look at their response, Jesus says, I promise you, I will empower you. And as you are empowered, I want you to be my witnesses. So here's what they do. They are obedient to him. They look at their lives and say, Lord, we're going to do what you tell us to do. And then number two, we're going to unite in prayer because we recognize this is what you want for us. And we're going to seek your empowerment. We're going to seek your empowerment. You say, okay, George, how do we, what's the meaning of all this? How do we apply it? Three things I want you to think about. First one's a question. And don't just breeze through this question. You've got to listen to it. Have you quenched the spirit in your life? Have you quenched the spirit in your life? The reason why, can I be honest with you, that most of us are defeated in our Christian life, the reason why we don't see God in a real way in our life, the reason why people don't see God in our life, is because we are quenching the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we're quenching the Holy Spirit is because we're being disobedient to Him in areas of our life. Now, we'll do this. Here's what we'll do. We'll say, well, Lord Jesus, you said if I confess my sin, I'll be forgiven. So I'm forgiven, but we just continue on in it. And then we wonder why we lack the power. Because here's what we're doing. Our sin is like that water on a fire. It snuffs it out. And the life that He has promised us, remember Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that you may have it, what, more abundantly? What does that mean? You go up to an average Christian today and tell me what the abundant Christian life is, they don't know what to tell you because they haven't experienced it. Or when John writes in 1 John that your joy may be full, we don't know what that is because we seek for happiness in things that don't bring us happiness. We don't know what the joy is. And the reason why we don't have the abundant life, the reason why we don't have the joy in our lives, is because we're snuffing out, we're quenching the Spirit of God in our life with the sin in our lives. And you know what it are in your lives? I mean, the issues in my life are different from your life. And you have to come to the place like I did, where you have to say, Lord, I don't want to be the one that is quenching what you're doing. And believe me, he'll begin to show you stuff. He'll keep you up at night. Until you come to the place and you say, okay, Lord, I'll stop. That's reality. Are you quenching? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Have you quenched the Spirit of God in your life by being disobedient? Listen, my friends, there is so much more for our lives with Jesus. And it's got to begin with obedience to what he's called us to do. Let me just stop for a minute. I've got to qualify that because when I talk about obedience to what he's called us to do, so many things can enter into your mind that will confuse you. So let me just stop for a moment. My background is independent Baptist. And as a young believer in Christ, there were so many things that I was told to do, how I was supposed to dress, the Bible I was supposed to carry, and if I didn't show up here, show up there, don't do this, don't do that, then if I, quote, did those things, and these were all things that people laid down, I would call them the traditions of men, 
I thought that God didn't look at me the same way. It took me seven years to realize that Jesus didn't look, doesn't look at me based upon those things. When he calls me to be obedient, he's not calling me to be obedient to the list of man-made rules. He's calling me to be obedient to what? What he tells me through this. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. It's harder to be obedient to this than it is to the man-made rules. Because the Holy Spirit shows you what you need to change in your life. But here's the catch. You can't change it. He has to change it through you. So I have to come to a place of submission and say, Lord, I need your help with that attitude. I can't do it without you doing it through me. See, some of you, God may be calling to you and saying to you, you need to give up something if you want me. I heard one young man say to me here in the last couple of weeks, God was saying to him, I've got so much more planned for you, and what I want to do for you, you need to get out of the way. See, when I sin and choosing to be disobedient, I'm getting in the way of what God wants. So the question is, have I quenched the Spirit? The other thing is, is that, recognize this, Jesus will empower you with his Spirit. You've got to recognize that. This is, this is not some tall tale fable. This is reality. As I look at the situation, as I look at the Word of God, the reality is, and this is what you and I have to accept by faith, is that Jesus will empower me. He said He would. He will empower you to do what He's calling you to do. Are you seeking that empowerment? Which brings us to the final point then. Seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what has to happen when you seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You have to come to a place where you quit it and you let Him do it through you. See, you have to give up yourself to let God's Spirit do it through. Listen, I can't even begin to imagine. I'm trying. But even my imagination is so small to think what our church would be like if we became the people that God wanted us to be. If if we sought after the empowerment that he has for us. And so let me tell you where you begin as I close this time. You begin by recognizing, which is what happened three weeks ago with 20-some different people in our church, you begin to recognize that we're not where we should be and that we've been deceiving ourselves, thinking everything's okay. And so as you seek the empowerment in your life, you need to start at that point. You need to start at the point where you recognize that everything's not okay with me. And the evidences are there. I've been overlooking them. And so, Lord, show me what I need to do to get where I need to be with you so that I would be the empowered servant that you want me to be. Thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. Before we leave you today, 
George would like to share some special news about an upcoming event. Folks, we are excited about an upcoming five-week series at the church called The God Questions. Starting next Sunday, October the 18th, we will be looking at tough questions that many are struggling with today. Questions such as, is God real? And why does God allow suffering? In fact, we'll be addressing the question, is God real, next week in the 1045 worship service. We'll also have a question and answer forum at 6 p.m. to discuss this question in detail. It's our hope that you'll be able to attend these discussions. For more information about the series or any other information, visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. On behalf of the church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.